Welcome to a healthy bite. You're one nibble closer to a more satisfying way of life, a healthier you, and bite-sized bits of healthy motivation. Now let's dig in on the dish with Rebecca Huff. Today, we're talking about a subject that I think a lot of people maybe will not connect with health, although I feel and my guest today also feels strongly that this is a topic that is very closely related to health. And my guest is David Matthews. David has a website. It is called sparkoflife.org. He teaches people how to grieve. And we're going to talk a little bit about how grief is related to health. But first, David, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in this? Sure. My wife and I, Debbie, I'm sorry, she's not here today, but we started Spark of Life in 2009 officially after the death of our grandson. We had been with our talents and our gifts and our background and experience. We decided to try to do something for those who are grieving because we were grieving deeply. Our son and his wife were, of course, shattered. And we had worked with grievers on and off in various uh, ways over the years, the last 40 years. And so we started Spark of Life, a nonprofit organization that whose mission statement or purpose is very simple. We exist to walk beside those who are grieving, and our mission is to give hope that the life can never be the same after loss. Life can still be good and can still be full of joy, and we can't get over the pain of losing the dearest on earth to us, for example, or any other kind of loss, but we can get through it with the pain and learn to live forward with with joy again and with the pain that we have experienced. The pain never totally goes away, but it doesn't have to be debilitating. It, and it can we can really manage it and grieve in a healthy way. And so we've been pleased and honored to do we do three and a half day retreats all over the country. We've done 110 three and a half day retreats. We've done a few retreats online because of the COVID thing. And now we're able to reach people all over the world. And it's just an honor to walk beside people. And you talked about health. and You know, eating is a big deal with health. And grievers have this huge thing about eating, either one way or the other. But as far as a healthy outlook, it's so important to a healthy lifestyle. And I think, I know you know that, you get that. And, and so we've been doing retreats since 2009. We have a grief online course if somebody doesn't want to be in a small group, like our retreats are all small groups, anywhere from six to 18 people mm-hmm. and both online and on uh, and in-person retreats. And we also do an online course where somebody can do it privately one-on-one with coaching with grief recovery specialists. And we do a lot of YouTube videos and, and things online because everybody can't travel to a, an in-person retreat. Mm-hmm. We, we've had people from five or six different countries 46 states in the United States, but it costs money to travel to retreats. So we want to make it affordable to a lot of people. But that's basically what we do. We walk beside those who are hurting and grieving, both death losses and non-death losses. Right. That's what I, that was my next question, actually, mm-hmm. is I was going to ask you. So maybe someone's listening and they're like, I haven't lost anyone, but I am yeah. grieving something else. What are some of the other ways that maybe people don't even recognize that they're they need to grieve a loss, but what are some of the other losses that you help people through? That's that's a great question. In fact, it's on my notes as number one, you know, really what is grief? And we 
we do about two definitions of grief that really guide us. One is grief is natural and normal. It's a natural response for people who have undergone loss, both death losses and non-death losses. And the second definition really opened my eyes when we started this and our research on grief is that grief is also conflicting feelings caused by a change of or an end to a familiar pattern of behavior. So that opens up the doorway to a lot of other losses. And, and you've already mentioned this in your introduction that oftentimes we experience grief and we don't even recognize it as loss. We don't recognize what we're going through is a loss situation. It's a grief situation. Have you ever changed the way you eat, for example? My wife and I became vegans back in 2011. And I'm telling you, that's a loss of the familiar pattern of behavior. And one of the hardest things of getting through the, you know, I went from 220 to 170, you know, in a matter of about a year and kept that weight off. And, but it's been the hardest journey because it's a change in a familiar way of behavior. Socially, it's difficult, right? Going out of town, going to restaurants with friends and, so we're pretty bad vegans at times. <laughs> you know, we fail a lot, but that's basically our new way of eating. That's a grief situation. I know that sounds kind of petty and, and compared to losing a child, a spouse, you know, but it is a loss of a familiar pattern of behavior. And so oftentimes people don't know what's wrong with them. They think something is wrong with them because maybe they've changed jobs or their kids have grown up and left the house. And I was telling you earlier about, you know, comfort food is a big deal with grievers. I mean, it's just a huge deal, but it's such a big part of our health, right? And so when our, our minds are so broken, our hearts are broken, our minds feel broken in a grief situation, but it's so many different situations of life. And we tend to go back to the familiar. So, you know, when I get depressed or I get down, and it might be because of loss, personal loss. I want to go back to the familiar that that makes me feel good for a little while, but in the long run, it makes me feel worse, right? It's not a healthy way to eat. In other words, if I only ate comfort food all the time, for example, or did those things that give me temporary peace and comfort, and it could be activities that are not good for me, it could be drinking too much, it could be eating the wrong kinds of food, it really hinders me in how I deal with, with losses that come in many different shapes and sizes. So I think it's a, it's a great question. I think there's a lot of different things that people do need to actually go through a grieving process. And you named a few of them, like empty nests. That's one. Yeah. I think a lot of people try to kind of just get through that. Maybe they don't realize that there, there's a grieving process with maybe you've had right. your home for 25, 30 yeah. years, and now suddenly they're all gone or a divorce even. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of reasons that people might need to grieve. But what I want to ask you is, why is it unhealthy not to allow yourself to grieve? We have two biggest principles that we try to get across on Thursday night at our retreats when we do in-person or online retreats. It is, we're not here to fix you because we don't think you need fixing. You need to grieve. And the people that we see, and most people do not grieve, I would say, in, healthy, in the healthiest way they, that they can. And I was one of those. I still struggle with that. I still grieve uh, losses that propelled us to start Spark and other losses that have come since. And the, the, the deal about giving myself permission to grieve and not think something is wrong with me is a huge deal. 
-hmm. If I think I'm weak because I grieve, if, uh, most of us have some kind of faith or no faith background, but a lot of people we deal with, what's wrong with my faith? No matter what your faith is, I should be stronger. And we always say, no, that's, that's a bad thinking because thinking that I'm weak because I'm grieving makes me stuff down my, my feelings, my emotions. You talk about being unhealthy physically for somebody. It's when I stuff those emotions. And so the, the important thing is to give myself permission to grieve, and I don't need fixing. There's not something, quote, wrong with me. I have a broken heart, not a broken brain. And my brain feels broken. So people say, and, and friends don't help here, right? For the most part, friends try to help too much. So they, they say, if you just had more faith, for example, you wouldn't feel so bad. Wrong, right? I, I can tell you a lot of faith people who are strong in, in their particular faith, but they, they grieve deeply. And, and grieving does not mean there's something wrong with you. So instead of stop trying to stop the grief from overtaking me, I let it come. And the old metaphor of the waves is, it's old, it's, it's almost trite, but it's so true if I, if the big, we went to Hawaii a couple of years ago. Uh, uh, so we, we're on this beach in Hawaii, the condos overlooking the ocean. And we get up every morning and, and there are times during the day when the waves, and we're on the third floor of this condo right on the, the beach. And the waves get so big at times that the splash uh, of hitting the rocks, we can feel the water all the way up in the third floor. They're so big. And then there are times when in the afternoon, the waves are just no waves at all, very calm. And then the waves would come. And we love that metaphor about the waves and grief. When the waves of grief come, sometimes they're, they're tidal waves. Sometimes they're tsunamis. Sometimes they're, they're little waves that are manageable. But when the big waves come, if we try to fight, hold off the wave. So I turn and I face the wave and I say, I'm not going there. Maybe because I've assumed I'm weak if I, if I grieve. And it might be five years after a loss, and it might be a non-death loss that we talked about. So I, I try to hold it off. What it does, it can hurt me physically. That wave will hurt me. But if I turn and let the wave carry me to the shore, that's how we should do grief. When grief hits us, when I want to cry, when I, I want to just scream, when I want to throw rocks at trees, when I get mad at my God, whatever, however you deal with it, Instead of trying to stop it, I allow it to come in a safe environment, of course, right? I let it come and I let myself be carried to the shore with the big wave of grief. I'll have, I'll spit up water. I'll have sand in my nostrils, right? I'll maybe be bruised, but I'll be alive. I'll be on that shore. And then I get up and I live again. And so the permission to grieve, that's why it's important to define loss and grief. Grief is is grieving over any kind of loss. And, and so permission to grieve is a big deal. And for my health, for my well-being, for my, my whole mind, body, soul, spirit, and permission to recover is the other thing. Permission, I know you deal with a healthier lifestyle, and I love your website, by the way. I, I just love it. And I love what you're doing. And, and it's to give myself permission to get up and recover in a healthy way does not mean I forget my loved one or I'm minimizing my loss. It, it's a combination of permission to grieve deeply and permission to recover. And recovery is a decision I make, not an emotion I have to feel. I very rarely feel when I'm in the throes of grief to get up and tell a joke and 
go to a ball game or go out dancing with my wife or whatever. But it's not about your emotions. If I give myself to have those emotions, but choose to get up, wash my face and, and live forward with my pain, just that mental act of choosing to do that. And I own my own recovery. Nobody else does. So you can't tell me how to grieve. If I ask your opinion, you can give me some pointers that, that has helped you, right? But that's what we do at, at Spark of Life. We, we try to help people grieve in a healthy way. And our, our goal is to give hope, right? It's to give hope. You can choose to recover. And, and it, it's not a pleasant journey. It's messy. Yeah. It, you don't always feel good. I but think a I, lot of people maybe, and I, I don't want to stereotype or anything, but I yeah. think a lot of men maybe do feel like expressing yeah. their emotions and, and allowing the grief process to happen maybe isn't macho or whatever. So I think that might get in the way of some people. However, I also feel like, you know, it's not a subject they teach in school, how to grieve. And you you don't know that you're unprepared for letting go of something or the loss of something, you don't realize that you aren't prepared for it until you're in the midst of it, till you're already neck deep in water. For example, a lot of people come to my website, they've read my story. I wrote kind of my sister's story. She passed away from ovarian cancer. And I mean, oh. you don't know how to grieve that. You don't know what that process is like until you're right. in it. You're probably doing some bad habits. Like for me, I binge watched Korean dramas for an entire <laughs> summer because when I was watching it, yeah. it took me away from the thought that she wasn't there. Right. And so I think, you know, when we go through this grief process, we don't know that we're doing it. I don't want to say doing it wrong, but maybe practicing some unhealthy habits. And we also don't know really where to go to learn healthier yep. habits for grief. So can you tell us a little bit about how to recognize okay. where you're at in there and if it's creating unhealthy habits? Right. I think you just kind of told, uh, shared maybe accidentally the reason or how they can recognize that. If how I'm grieving is destroying or hurting other important relationships that I, I, I want to keep. We're not talking about toxic relationships that I need to get rid of, right? We're talking about relationships that you want to keep. If, if the, how you're grieving, and I'm not talking about in the initial phase of, or whatever you want to call it, of deep, deep, deep grief, like you're in shock, for example. No, that, it, you know, there's no rules, right? Except grief sucks, grief stinks, you know? That's kind of the universal rule. <laughs> it just stinks. Nobody likes it. And uh, the other universal rule is grief is, is indicative of love because you didn't grieve when our grandson died because you didn't know me, right? So when I grieve, it's because I, I love, right? And so if my grieving, if the way I'm conducting my life after loss, and, and again, there's an initial, and there's no time frames on this, you know, you shouldn't just go six months or 12 months and then get up and be happy. That's, that's kind of unrealistic and it's ridiculous. But when we have seen people who have lost other relationships they wanted to keep because they stayed stuck in what we call the pit of grief, they almost gave up being happy again. And usually that's tied to guilt. But the, in other words, I don't deserve to be happy. I don't deserve to go to a ball game. I don't deserve, you know, my son died, for example, if my son died or my spouse died, I can never be happy again, that sort of things. And what happens is your response to loss 
becomes toxic to other relationships and toxic to your health. And so we've seen that. And giving myself permission to recover is a big deal. For example, we deal with a lot of suicide loss. So if somebody loses a son or, or, or a spouse or a loved one to suicide, they often feel guilty. Why didn't I call them more? Why wasn't I a better parent? It's my fault. All those emotions or, or thoughts are very common. And so what happens is they don't think they have the right to feel happy or to be happy or to even do those things that bring joy. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's a process. But in the meantime, uh, we had a woman who lost a son to suicide. She had another son. Well, we, we got very close to her. She wanted to help Spark of Life to raise money and all this stuff. And we really love her. We still love her. Her husband has since left her. Her other son doesn't have anything to do with her because her whole life for like 10 years is centered on who she lost. And she's lost sight of, of who she has left, if that makes sense. And that's very toxic. Mm-hmm. So you know you're in an unhealthy relationship or an unhealthy grief process when it's hurting all the other relationships on, on earth or a lot of them that you want to keep and hold dear. Mm-hmm. And, and you're, you're being unhealthy. You're, not, you're eating too much. You're not eating anything, right? Now, for a while, that's understandable. Mm-hmm. But there comes a point when I've got to climb out of the pit of grief. And the, what we try to teach people is you never get out of the pit totally. You never talk. I mean, I cannot live as if Josiah never died. Okay. I, I, I can't live like that, but that's not holding me back from enjoying life again. And are there triggers that I go back down and visit the pit? Yeah, of course there are. That's giving myself permission to grieve deeply, even 10 years later or 15 years later. On non-death losses, what happens is often people don't understand they are in grief. And so they don't apply the principles we teach to their situation. They go to a therapist, or, and I'm not against therapy, but we have two children who are therapists. I'm not against it. In fact, we're, we're pro that. They go to a therapist, and they, what's wrong with me dominates their thinking. And a good therapist, if they get the story, and I, I know many who've done this, say, I think maybe you're grieving, mm-hmm. right? So the symptoms you're having are consistent with deep grief. So work on your grief, give yourself permission. You don't need to be fixed. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing in our retreats, in our online course, and all those things we offer, the the resources we offer people is when you realize you don't need to be fixed, Mm -hmm. most people that come to our retreats or come to our resources online think something's wrong with them because their friend says, it's been a year, you need to get over it. Or somebody says, you just need to trust God and you wouldn't feel so bad. Right. That message is so damaging to people, uh, no matter what your faith is, because that reinforces your own belief that there's something wrong with you. You feel so wrong. You think, so, but if we can change our thinking and reframe grief to it stinks, it sucks, but it doesn't mean I need fixing. It needs, I, I need to grieve. And then I need to learn ways to get back into life. And our tagline is to live forward, not to exist forward. There's a big difference in those two. Living forward is living with purpose, meaning, yes, joy again, doing the things I enjoy, building other healthy relationships, eating right, you know, eating in a healthy way, living in a healthy way. But, but existing for it is, I just get up in the morning because I have to get up. 
I, I go to work because I have to go to work. And it, it starts to debilitate other relationships that are so vital, which reinforces my false belief that there's something wrong with me. See, everybody's abandoned me. Right. I appreciate that you pointed that out, that you're pro-therapy. I also am very pro-therapy. I, I think that that's one of the worst stigmas that yes. there is about seeking mental health oh, yeah. Health yeah. is that there's has to be something wrong with you. And even I, when I started therapy, I felt like there was something wrong with me. How do I fix it? And I've had some different experiences with therapists and I've talked to a lot of people who have been in therapy. And I think one of the most freeing things that a therapist can ever tell you is there's nothing wrong with you. What you're going through is a normal process. Of course, you're grieving, you know, of course you're feeling that way when therapist validates your feelings, it just like opens you up and makes you feel so much lighter. Oh, no, I totally agree. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, you can fire your therapist. They're bad therapists. There's great therapists. There are bad grief people. There's good grief people. There's sure. bad. Oh, I know my husband and I have been to some bad marital counselors. Yeah. So <laughs> I yeah. know that they exist. If you don't find one that you jive with, you keep looking. So you keep looking, yeah, because, I, I'm pro therapy because of, of, of a lot of reasons. I have a counseling degree in substance abuse counseling and uh, how you look at yourself is vital, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm a flawed person, I will stay stuck forever. Right. Right. If, if that's what I think about myself. So we do a lot of work on the thinking. Uh, I have a broken heart, not a broken brain, but sometimes my brain feels broken. But if I assume, you know, there's some books out there on grief that are terrible and some that are great, right? And it's just like anything else. But one of the worst I ever read, which probably is 90% good, this book, but they said it takes you a year to get over the loss of a, of a parent, two years to get over the loss of a spouse, and you never get over the loss of a child. That is such harmful teaching because it puts people in somebody else's time frame. Who says it takes an X amount of time? Mm-hmm. All losses in context of other losses, that's one of another component, uh, that uh, a principle that we teach that we think is important. And your loss is your loss. It's nobody else's. And what you, your recovery is your recovery. It's nobody else's. I can get help from others. We exist as an organization to give help to other people as you do. You want to give good, sound help to others to help them live a more whole, healthy life, full of joy, purpose, and meaning, right? And that's what we try to do. But your recovery is your recovery. We put people through exercises in our retreats that are just powerful. Occasionally, somebody say, I don't want to do this. Do I have to do it? And I say, well, no, you don't have to do it. This is your recovery. We know from experience this will help you. We ask you to trust us and do it. But if you don't want to do it, that's up to you. We'll, we will respect you no matter what. And we won't put time frames on you. This is your recovery. It's your loss. And nobody has the right to tell me I don't have a major loss. That, you know, a major loss is defined by me and me alone. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's really important that you pointed that out, that different people can grieve in different ways and for different periods of time. And the process looks different for every single person. But I also appreciate and think that it's important. And you also pointed this out that you give people the tools and then you don't force them to do it. You just tell them it would be good for them. So can you just tell us briefly what kind of tools you use? What is your recovery course like? I mean, are people going to like have to talk about their feelings a lot? A lot of people don't like that and they're afraid of 
It's up to them. <laughs> so, uh, so if they don't. Tell us a little bit about what it's like. Yeah. Well, I've, I've told you a little bit about our introduction of, of, of normalizing grief. Uh, a lot of the grief experts, and by the way, we don't think we know everything about grief and recovery from loss. We know a lot more than we used to know, right, because of working with about 10,000 people since 2009. In various venues, 1,500 people have come to our retreats that we spend three and a half days with. You get to know somebody there, but, you know, permission to grieve, permission to recover. And then what we give people practical tools to examine their grief in the context of their entire life. So somebody loses a child, let's say a mother and dad lose a son to, to substance abuse, to drug abuse. Okay, the mom and dad are going to dr- grieve differently, right? Their grief, the way they handle that is in context of their entire life. And the context of their, their, their backstory, if you want to call it, is different. So if the mother had an alcoholic father that abandoned the family when she was five years old and never remembered her birthday and never came to her wedding and all that, the way she handles the grief of, of a son dying of substance abuse or chemical addiction is going to be colored by the, the past of her father leaving home when she was five. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So it's in context. While the husband might have, he might have introduced his son maybe to alcohol when the son was 18 or 17 or 15. And maybe the father never had that background. Well, the father is going to respond differently. So according to his background, his previous losses, and, and, and she's going to respond differently. Plus they're male and female, right? And as you said, men tend to stuff more than women, but we've seen a lot of women stuff their feelings, but men tend to do it more. So, so the, the context, so we, we, we do what we call a lost journey that you really go over all your losses. And, and again, it's your choice to do it. It's a very emotional thing to do. And we teach people practically how to do it. So the whole retreat is, is based upon, we accept you where you are. We don't care your background, your belief system, your God, whatever your faith brings to it is fine. So we have people from different faiths, people with no faith. Isn't it amazing how grief unites people? (laughs) So, and then the dynamic of the group helps reaffirm we're all in this crap together, right? Why can't we love each other the way we are and help each other be better, right? Not judging each other. So we, we judge nobody at our retreats and it's so cool to see them come together, but everybody grieves differently. So in their lost story, they, they then have the ability, it's real practical. They actually do it on a piece of paper and then they share it with their small, small group. And we teach people how to listen to their fellow retreat participants. Never try to fix anybody. Never, never try to tell them they're doing something wrong, accept them as they are, right? As they are. And when they share the story, your only response is after they're through, would you like a hug? If you don't want a hug, say no. If you do want a hug, say yes. You don't try to fix them. So they validate. So let's say somebody comes in, they hate God. And, and now I have a faith background, but a lot of people come to our retreat and they come in, I hate God. I don't care who knows it. And we say, well, you're welcome here. Come on in. Because those are our emotions, right? Those are feelings. And so we give people practical tools and then the law story goes to the relationship story and the relationship story is on their biggest loss. 
And oftentimes it is a person. Sometimes they're alive, like divorced people. Sometimes they've been sexually abused as a child and they work on that loss, like of their father or stepfather, uncle or mother. They do a relationship story on the person. And basically people stay stuck in their grief because of incompletes and the incompletes of I resent the person who died or I, I hurt the person who died. So I have resentments and regrets. And if I have an incomplete with somebody who uh, has died, like my mother, when she died and we were doing retreats, Debbie, uh, six months later, I, I thought everything was fine. She was 85. She said, you have incompletes with your mom. She hurt you a long time ago. You never talked to her about that, about how she hurt you. Why don't you do your work like you teach everybody else to do? That's why I love my wife. One of many reasons. So I had to go through the process with my mom because I had, I had deep resentments toward my mom that had not been spoken of in 30 years, 40 years. So That's what is that process exactly? What is the process? Mm -hmm. I have to admit my resentments. I have to admit my regrets, what I did that hurt the relationship. She has to, I mean, I, I have to admit what she did that hurt the relationship. And then we, we have people write a, a completion letter that basically says, dear mom, I've been thinking about our relationship and I just want you to know, I, I really miss you, but I've got some things I have to say. First of all, mom, I apologize. So I apologize for what I did that hurt the relationship. Then I forgive what she did that hurt the relationship. And then I remember the good times. So we put people through that pro threefold process during the weekend with nothing but acceptance, love, great food if it's an in-person retreat, beautiful locations. Um, if, it's, if it's online retreat, the same dynamic happens, except we don't get to feed you really great food. Okay. Is it live when you do the courses online? Yeah, yeah. The online grief recovery, re we call it a retreat, but it is online. The course is not live, but the, you have three live coaching sessions with a grief recovery specialist to help you through those tough times, right? So we do have a coach that comes alongside you in the online course that you can take at your own pace. We, we want you to complete it in about a month because some people put off hard stuff, right? And, and they don't want to get to the hard stuff. So we really encourage you to finish in a month. And you have live Zoom coaching with grief recovery specialists. They've all been trained by us They've all experienced devastating loss. They've all been through our retreats many times. They know the material. They know not to judge. They know to accept everybody. And once I read that, once I write that letter, the, the goodbye completion letter, I read it to my small group online. They would read it to their coach. If it's an online retreat, they, they read it to their small group. And, and when I tell my mom how much she hurt me when she got drunk every night, during my growing up years, when all those things she said, and our last 20 years was great. She's a great mom. But I had that resentment. When I read that to my small group, and they don't try to fix me, and they accept me as I am, it validates me that I'm not crazy, that I, there's nothing wrong with me. Well, there's a lot wrong with me, but you know what I mean. But when I do that, and, and the people, the two or three guys in my small group, for example, they just say, would you like a hug? And I say, yeah, I'd like a hug. And they hug me. It, maybe it's a virtual hug. It's validating that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. It's valid. And I've completed the incomplete. It's done. And all I can do is all I can do. And all I can do is enough. And so if I'm waiting for mom to come back and say, I'm sorry for me getting drunk every night, David, when you were in junior high and high school, 
See, I get emotional thinking about it, even though I've forgiven her for that. But if I'm waiting for her to apologize and she's dead, I'm going to wait a whole long time, right? Yeah. And I'll, I'll be stuck. I'll be stuck. Yeah. And, and so we teach people how to complete the incompletes. And they say, well, I need her to say, I'm sorry. I, I know you think you do, but you don't. You've done all you can do. You can't do anymore. Right. And so, this is something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that you can actually, you can forgive someone else without their participation. Absolutely. If someone hurt you and they've passed away, you can still get through the forgiveness process, even without yeah. them participating. I mean, because a lot of times we have to forgive a toxic person that we can't be around anymore. That's, a, that's exactly but right. On to unforgiveness, it poisons us, not them. Yeah. So and I think even really important. Yeah, it's, it's a great point you made. What we say, see, a lot of our people are they they discover other losses that they didn't come to the retreat for, <laughs> such as a childhood sexual abuse has come out often, and often those people are alive, and so we spend about an hour and a half on forgiveness before they write that letter on Saturday afternoon spend a lot of time on what forgiveness is and what it's not. And by no means do you write this letter and give it to somebody on this earth if they're alive. It's not the purpose. It's not the purpose. Sometimes you don't need to reconcile. If somebody hurt you and they're toxic, you don't need to go back and try to make it right. Now, if you want to do that, that's fine. That's up to you. But don't think you have to in order to forgive them. No, and, and, and you don't have to. It, the forgiveness is for you. It's not for them in the work we do because we don't know everybody's background. I'm not going to say you need to go back and make it right. No, maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe, and only you can decide that, not me. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So it's yeah, for sure. This is a really important topic. And I so appreciate you coming to talk to us today about this. I think it's a life-changing thing to really go through the grieving process mm -hmm. and do it in a way that helps you move forward, like you said. So mm -hmm. if you are listening today and you need help, just make sure to check out the website. It is sparkoflife.org and you can find all of the information. Is there anything else that you'd like to add as far as where people would want to start on your website? Yeah, I, a lot of times the online stuff on something as deep and personal as what we're talking about, uh, a lot of people might assume it's not powerful, it, it, but we, we know it is because we were skeptical. The Zoom online grief recovery retreats that we do, the people that have been there, we've even got testimonials of them. They saying, I can't believe how powerful this was. We had two people who came to an in-person and later they, because they had other losses, they came to our, our online. They, they all said it was just as powerful as the in-person. And we were shocked. We were surprised. It, it works. It works online. Don't be afraid to try an online thing. The in-person's neat too. We've had to cancel probably 15 in-person retreats since last year. And we, you know, and we're really down on in-person this year because of COVID, even though now we can meet but you have to plan these things months in advance, right? And we could plan them in January, February of this year, right? So, so we're going to kick that back up. And we have one in September in Colorado, an in-person retreat, but we've got uh, three online retreats scheduled between now and the end of the year. So just don't be afraid to reach out for help. And if you're one of those that wants privacy, you can do the online course, just you, right. of course. 
And you can actually find all of the information with the schedule and everything right uh -huh. on sparkoflife.org, right? Right exactly. on the page? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time and I appreciate the work you do. Thank you very thank much. Okay. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review so other people can learn about this podcast. Find out more about sleep, hygiene, eating healthy, tasty recipes, zero waste lifestyle, and lots more on thatorganicmom.com. Help us spread the word. Be blessed and stay healthy.